scrutiny. Scrutiny is something that we've all faced. As Muslims in the post-9-11 world, and especially those of us who are younger Muslims, we've all faced various levels and degrees of legal, political, and social scrutiny for being Muslims. And even in the Quran, there's many verses of previous prophets and peoples who've been discriminated and scrutinized because of their faith in Islam. But today isn't about the past. Today's about what happened in London. Today's about what the response to that London terror attack was. But more importantly, the scrutiny that Muslims in the midst of a horrifying and emotional incident have faced because much of it, in my opinion, is appalling. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Haram Shamim. And today's episode will be focused on this very topic of scrutiny. But specifically, we'll be focusing on Islam under scrutiny. And I will be sort of building off of what I talked about in the last episode about Muslims and our identity. But I want to shift from talking about identity to scrutiny because what we're seeing and why I wanted to bring up identity was because this identity that I talked about last time is what's under scrutiny. It's on heavy scrutiny. We're seeing it from all over the world, in Asia even, in Europe especially, in North America, and even within the Middle East itself. The ideas of what it means to be Muslim, about being a, uh, you know, a Muslim in, in terms of the way that you identify yourself, is becoming more and more under scrutiny. And mainly, I wanted to focus on how Islam is being constantly under attack, or how certain aspects of the world, the media, etc., sort of scrutinize Islam, but also why we ourselves must be aware of how this scrutiny is happening, or who's doing it, and then lastly, how we can respond to this scrutiny. And obviously, I won't get into everything in terms of the scrutiny or how to respond, but my main focus will be in response to the London terror attack, because that is a, a recent attack that's happened, and there's been a lot of support for the Muslim community, but some very, very disturbing scrutiny that's being given to the Muslim community even after we've suffered such a terrible and horrifying terrorist attack. So to first begin, Islam under the microscope. And what we're seeing with the recent events in London, uh, the uh, attack, the, uh, you know, the cowardly attack against the, the innocent family that was uh, walking. Of course, in Canada, we've had two now, of course, with the Quebec terror attack that happened a few years ago. This isn't the first time it's happened. What we saw last time in the Quebec terror attack and some other Islamophobic incidents before was that when these incidents would occur, people would diminish them to just say, oh, it's just a one-off. It's just a one-off. You know, this is only just a one time that it's happening. And a lot of times when it comes to sort of just, a, you know, an Islamophobic attack where someone's attacked like on a bus or something like that, th those incidents don't get as much coverage. And so people are sort of ignorant towards them. Uh, and so they don't necessarily get the certain, I guess, uh, idea of how rampant aspects of Islamophobia are within certain communities. But with the Quebec terror attack, that uh, that happening a few years ago, and now 
with this, the London terror attack, it's really, really difficult for anyone to really deny that there are aspects of Islamophobia within Canada. Or I shouldn't even say aspects, I should say there are very rampant ideas uh, that run within Canada about Islamophobia. Uh, I don't even know if people saw this, but on Instagram there was a video circulating of, of a man who was basically uh, saying uh, there was this, uh, this Muslim family, I, I don't remember how many, like three or four people that were walking, and a truck uh, kind of drove by, and the guy was like, oh, you know, the truck, you, you missed them, you missed them, right? He, he was alluding to the London terror attack. So this idea that you can deny Islamophobia, I think luckily for the Muslim community, and, and I say this luckily not in a good way, but I don't know how else to phrase this, but luckily uh, you can't really deny it anymore. And, and people who do will get called out for it, which is how they should have been from the beginning, but that's not what happened. No one was really called out for Islamophobia. I will say one thing that I have noticed that is somewhat different about you know, previous responses and, and the responses that we're seeing now for the London terror attack is that people are actually being called out for not recognizing Islamophobia. And that's good. It's some progress. It's, it's not necessarily uh, perfect, but there's some progress. We're seeing some change, albeit slowly, but there is some change. And I will say that I appreciate, and I'm sure every Muslim appreciates, the people who are non-Muslim who do call out Islamophobia. I, I don't know if any of them, you know, get the thanks that they should deserve, but I think the Muslim community definitely thanks them. We definitely do. But kind of focusing this back into what I was going to talk about, with the sort of focus on the London terror attack, there's been good and bad reasons that Islam has been brought under the microscope. And some good reasons that I, I, I will mention is that Muslims have been able to sort of express their outrage and sort of what they've experienced there's, again, been a lot more sort of uh, denouncing of people who are Islamophobic, people who don't uh, kind of allow Muslims to live normal lives, people who have problems with Muslims. Uh, I, I remember the Islamophobia bill that was voted down by 90, I think it was 93 or something, uh, conservative MPs, although the bill itself did pass because it was a liberal majority that passed it. The conservative party members who voted against it were called out for voting against it. And that's that's right. I mean, they voted against something that, in my opinion, if that was something else like anti-Semitism or uh, anti-blackness or, you know, racism towards Asians or racism towards black people, it's not something that would be okay to vote against. Right? But what we're seeing with Islamophobia, they didn't get as much scrutiny. But now, this time around, again, they are getting that scrutiny. And so we are seeing maybe some progress. And I don't want to just make this episode about scrutiny, just about how bad Muslims are getting scrutiny. I think there's some good in that we should give credit to the people who do stand with us. Unfortunately, and this is something that I think is very disappointing, and I talked about this before, but even though we've suffered this, there are people who are putting us under the microscope in bad ways. And I'll get into this more later, but regardless, what we've seen is that for every one of these sort of attacks against Muslims, either they're big attacks like Quebec and London, or even small ones, there will be this, basically this rush of people, either these so-called journalists 
or these so-called media members or those sort of like Twitter people. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about here. It's like these uh, accounts on Twitter that will tweet about certain things. There's always like these uh, right-wing or left-wing accounts and they always tweet about certain things. You'll see some of these right-wing accounts. They're coming out with all this stuff about how Islamophobia doesn't exist. Islamophobia doesn't exist. Even after everything that's happened, they're still denying that Islamophobia exists. And I think one thing that even with them again that we've seen is that they've had to sort of almost admit, yes, there's aspects of Islamophobia because now, of course, again, they, they even then, even them, they can't deny that there are Islamophobic attacks, but now they're sort of trying to push it away to say, it's not Islamophobia, oh, it was other things is what caused it. But again, I'll get into this in a second, but the problem with all of this, even with the good responses and the bad responses, is that what it essentially, I felt, and what I feel like it almost gives a message towards many people of either color or minority uh, status, is that things don't really change until something bad happens, right? Things don't change until there's some tragedy. And that's really, really unfortunate. And I think that even with us within the Muslim community, people within the Muslim community have been talking about Islamophobia for quite some time. People have been talking about how they've been dealing with Islamophobia. Uh, You know, the National Council for Canadian Muslims, I think I got that name right, NCCM, I think that's their acronym, they have a, a, a tracker on their website that essentially kind of points where Islamophobic attacks have occurred. Either, I don't remember if it's only police reported, uh, but it's regardless, it's all the attacks that occur across Canada that relate to Islamophobia on their website. And if you go on their website, you can find the entire list. And it's not just one area. It's not just like, oh, you know, this one little section in Ontario. No, it, it's all over the country. It, it's been happening. It's not something new. It's always been occurring. People have just been ignoring it. But it, it needed this attack. And again, I, I'm not trying to say this was a good thing. It was a terrible, 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 terrible thing that happened in London. But it was required because that's the only way for people to actually pay attention. It's, that's really, really sad. That's not good. You know, that's, that's terrible. It, it's, it's terrible that that had to occur. And, and I almost think that even as Muslims, we have to look within ourselves and say, you know, are there other bad things that are happening across in other areas that maybe we're not noticing because just something bad hasn't happened. But that, that's besides the point. My point in sort of a larger, uh, I guess, uh, idea is that the thing that London has taught me as a Muslim is that, number one, as much as I have appreciated the responses from a lot of people who have supported the Muslim community, there's clearly a lot of work to do. And I will give a shout out, and I think a a justifiable shout out to people like who work at NCCM, Uh, the National Council for Canadian Muslims. There's a lot of great work for Muslims in terms of legal issues or even just advocacy issues. And they've been front and center in a lot of this, and they've done a phenomenal job in not only giving a voice to Muslims, but for standing up for Muslims. And, you know, I I encourage people to go and donate to them, to go and support them, because they've been a great part uh, in the response to the London terror attack. And they've been a great part in ensuring that the proper information is being put out there and that Muslim voices aren't silenced. So I wanted to move on to the point that I was talking about 
the rewriting of what's going on or what happened in London. And really, the importance of awareness here is the central pillar to, I think, countering this sort of rewriting. And I, I talked about this a bit, but what's essentially happened is that people have been trying to denounce this from saying it was Islamophobia to instead saying that this was, you know, maybe an ethnic attack against uh, a brown family. Oh, you know, they were brown. That's why they were attacked or trying to downplay it uh, from being a white supremacist angle. So instead of acknowledging that this had white supremacist ideas or that there was racist motivations, they're saying, oh, you know, he might have had mental health issues, which, listen, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they've actually come out and said that he did. But even then, even if he had mental health issues, it doesn't take away from the Islamophobia that occurred. Right? It doesn't. It just doesn't. If this was an Arab man who shot up a building, they wouldn't have stopped saying that he was a terrorist. They wouldn't have changed that. They would have stuck with it. Mental health, as serious it is as it is, and I'm not trying to denounce and say mental health isn't serious, but what I'm saying is, is that mental health doesn't take away from the Islamophobic roots that led to his actions. It doesn't. And there's been this sort of rewriting because of this, where they're trying their hardest, and they, I, I, I'm being broad here because it's not exactly one group of people, but it's they in terms of anyone who's you know, themselves got an angle in which they don't like Islam or, you know, they don't want to take Islamophobia seriously. They've been trying to rewrite this to make it something it's not. And, and as Muslims, of course, we need to be aware of this because we need to respond to them, right? And, and it's also come to another point where people are saying that Canada is not a racist nation and ignoring the racism that exists. And a lot of people will say, well, Islam isn't a race. Okay, fine. Let's say it's, it's, it's not Islamophobia, it was he attacked them because they were brown. Well, then that would make Canada a racist nation, wouldn't it? I mean, that would make racism a huge part of this. So on one hand, these people, again, in a broad way, will say racism doesn't exist, and then will connotate to things to get away from Islamophobia that imply that this was a racist attack. But then at the same time, they'll say, oh, but it wasn't racism. So you see this whole rewriting of problem or the rewriting of what happened, the rewriting of the issue, this is the, the thing that's at play here. And it's just so disappointing. It's it's so, so disappointing to, to see these people put these sort of tweets out. Even after everything that's happened, two terror attacks in the past, what, I, I guess four or five years against Muslims? Both of them, what, are just coincidences? And, and this isn't even in counting terrorist attacks like Christchurch. It's not like Muslims haven't been, you know, put under the, you know, haven't been targeted by terrorists before. We have, and, and we're constantly being targeted, but these people are still denying it. You know, and, and we're also seeing other aspects of it where it's the misplacing of words. I, I don't know if you guys read, heard the speech, sorry, heard the speech of the imam of, of the London mosque. I believe it was the imam uh, who said that what's happening here in London is the same thing that's happening in Gaza, right? And and he was basically put under the barrel as well by these people to say, oh, that's anti-Semitism. Oh, he's anti-Semitic. Even though he said nothing against the Jewish community, he said nothing against, you know, Jewish people. 
all he said was that the ideas that go behind the London mosque or the London terror attack are the same ones that go under Gaza. And he's right. The London terror attack happens because these people, you know, who push these sort of ideas, these people who believe these ideas think that Muslims are terrorists. They think that we're a threat. And the same reason why people dehumanize the people of Gaza to just say, oh, well, it's just Hamas. That's what Gaza is. It's, it's a dehumanization of Muslim lives. And, and people who are trying to do this sort of rewriting of the narrative that we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of this stuff. They're trying to rewrite our narrative so that we can get diminished again. And we can't let it happen again because it's unacceptable. How many more people have to die before these people actually take it seriously? We can hold them accountable, though. We can. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to be perfect, but we can hold them accountable. And one of these people that I think has uh, justifiably, in my opinion, been under scrutiny is Tariq Fatah. And I didn't want to bring him up. I didn't want to talk about him because he, to me, is a, a uh, how, do, how do I put this into a, um, a kind way that's not explicit? He is a very disagreeable man. Let's just say that. He's a very disagreeable man who constantly writes for the Toronto Sun, of course. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, the Toronto Sun is basically a very right-wing paper that constantly diminishes Islamophobia. And some of the other newspapers in Canada have had their bad takes when it comes to Islamophobia, but the Toronto Sun is one that they're just, they're, they're another level and they're, they're not even worth our time. And um, Tariq Fatah wrote a recent article that was essentially saying that Islamophobia is not the fault of the people who are Islamophobic, but rather, believe it or not, he said Islamophobia is the fault of the Muslims because of their uh, quote-unquote, um, I don't know how to, again, I don't know how to say this in, in a nice manner, but the quote-unquote unacceptable views that Islam has. So essentially he was saying that Muslims have constantly been people who have had these terrible ideas. And one of the things he points to, and I don't know where he got this number from, but I think he said that Muslims denounce Jews and Christians 48 times a, a day because in prayer, uh, he, he points to Surah Al-Fatiha. In Surah Al-Fatiha, in the end, uh, it ends with uh, the, the Surah asking, or the Surah, sorry, ending with basically us asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from being misguided uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially that's what the, the verse ends with. And so he says, oh, well, the implication, and he, he quotes Ibn Khatir here, but he doesn't give a reference to where he's quoting Ibn Khatir. So he just sort of says in his article, oh, Ibn Khatir said, uh, agreed that, you know, the, the misguided were the Jews and the Christians. Um, and, and I also just want to point out, those of you who are interested, do not read his article don't. It's not worth it. He wants you to do it because a lot of times the Toronto Sun will write these articles that are inflammatory so they can get a response and the people can come to their website and they can get ad revenue. So don't read their article. I only read it because I felt that it was important to bring, again, awareness to the attempt at sort of washing away the Islamophobia that happened here. But Tariq Fatah essentially quotes Ibn Khatir, doesn't give a reference to where he was quoting Ibn Khatir, 
and then says that oh Ibn Khatir said it, so he must have you know it, it, it must be true that Muslims denounce Jews and Christians. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm not I'm not a, a scholar, but even I reading those last few verses of Surah Al-Fatiha, there's no way it's, that's what it says. It, it doesn't, right? All it says is protect us from being the misguided. As Muslims, I think we all can agree, there's no guarantee that any of us are get, getting into heaven or Jannah, right? That's, that's always been my opinion. I don't know if you disagree, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. If there was a guarantee, what was the point of coming here and doing good good deeds. There's no guarantee. I obviously still have to earn Jannah, right? And and I think that in Islam, we know of the people who are the hypocrites, right? The hypocrites that are mentioned throughout the Quran, the people who say they are Muslim, but then they'll do things that are uh, against Islam, or they're not really working with Muslims, they're actually working against Muslims, but they'll say that they're working with Muslims. And for me, Personally, when I read Surah Al-Fatiha and I read the end of Surah Al-Fatiha, that's what I think. I think that that's what it's referring to, is the misguided. The misguided are the people who abandoned Islam for the worldly gain. And that's not an uncommon idea in Islam either. Yet, of course, with Tariq Fatah's article, he basically implies that it is. And he also points towards saying that Muslims who promote stuff like Sharia law... He loves to bring this stuff up. And a lot of Toronto Sun articles love to bring up Sharia law, Sharia law. Oh, the Sharia law boogeyman. Oh, the Sharia law boogeyman is coming for you. What what Sharia law? I've never understood where the Sharia law thing comes from. And what's, again, sickening is a family gets killed innocently. An innocent family is murdered. And these people are writing out articles saying about Sharia law, Sharia law. What Sharia law? How long have Muslims been living here? For generations. If we wanted Sharia law that badly, it would have already been here. It's not. Because it's not coming. No one is trying to make Sharia law happen. And the other things that he brings up, and and I'm not going to get into all of them. I've already spent too much time going into his article. But it's just absolutely disgusting. It's so pathetic. It's just so terrible. A family was killed. And this is what they're putting out there. This is how they're trying to eliminate our suffering. They're trying to right away our, our you know, our, our pain. And, and this is the scrutiny, the bad scrutiny that we're facing. No matter what happens, these people will scrutinize us. Even when we suffer, they want to scrutinize us. There's no, oh yeah, the Muslims are, you know, good people. No, there's always something that Islam is responsible for. What what did the family do that was so terrible? They did nothing. They were just walking. How is that a crime? And and this is why again we need to be aware of them because we need to call them out. And and I'll I'll say that one of the things that I saw and the reason I was brought to aware of of the article that Tariq Fatah wrote was because I saw other Muslims posting about it. But there's just one last thing about the Tariq Fatah article that I wanted to bring up because. Although I've mentioned this they, these people who are outwardly about their Islamophobia, I think many of us can admit that there's a lot of people that aren't as outwardly with their maybe Islamophobia or I guess I want to say partially Islamophobic ideas. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because 
why I actually first heard of the Tariq Fatah article. And, and by the way, Tariq Fatah has basically made an entire career of this. So again, that's another reason why you shouldn't pay attention to him because he's absolute trash. Uh, I'm sorry to be maybe a bit um, rude there, but he's absolute trash. I don't like him. I know a lot of Muslims that don't like him and you shouldn't spend any time again on him. But what I wanted to bring up the Tariq Fatah article as well was that there was a scandal related to the article because as it turned out, on Twitter, Erwin Coulter, a very famous Canadian lawyer, uh, a famous lawyer who's fought for human rights, I believe he's part of, uh, I think it's McGill Law maybe, their Human Rights Center, something like that, and a, uh, a prominent member of, uh, I think, Canada's, uh, I think he was an attorney general at one point. I, I could be wrong about that. I do remember he, he was a very famous uh, big shot lawyer as well. He's also Canada's, he's Canada's, I think, special counsel or special ambassador to fight anti-Semitism. So this man, human rights background, right, fighting anti-Semitism, just, you know, seems like a guy who would know a lot about hate crime and a lot of stuff about, you know, hate speech, etc. Well, as it turns out, when Tariq Fatah wrote this article and he tweeted it out, people noticed that Erwin Coulter, retweeted the article. He retweeted it, which for those of you who are unfamiliar with Twitter, retweeting it essentially means that you will then share it on your page. So people who follow you can then see that, you know, you, uh, you're sort of sharing this article with them. So a retweet in, in, I guess, Twitter terms essentially means that you're agreeing with the thing. You're agreeing with whatever's being said. So Erwin Coulter, this man who's supposed to help fight anti-Semitism, he himself is also someone who's a background in human rights, retweets that garbage article by Tariq Fatah and doesn't seem to even have that much of a problem with it? That's, that's, that's just unacceptable. Now, in Erwin Coulter's defense, he did in fact apologize. He actually apologized twice. The first time he apologized was sort of a blanket Twitter apology where he essentially said, oh, I mistakenly retweeted it and I apologize. It, it was very bland. And the main problem I had when I saw it was that he didn't seem to acknowledge why it was problematic that he retweeted it. It wasn't just the fact that he retweeted an article. It was that he retweeted an article that essentially said Muslims are to blame for Islamophobia, which I saw some people point this out. Would that be acceptable if it was anti-Semitism? Would it be acceptable to walk up to a Jewish person and say, you're responsible for anti-Semitism? Of course not. It wouldn't be acceptable. And that's why it wasn't acceptable for the article. And he, a person who fights for human rights, should have known better. Which, I guess, thankfully, in his second apology, he does, in fact, acknowledge his problem. Or, sorry, not the problem. He, he does acknowledge where it was wrong for him to have retweeted that. And he gave a much more thorough and I think more personal apology, which in my opinion, he had to give because of the backlash he got twice. And just because of optics, it looks terrible for someone who's supposed to stand up for human rights to be doing that. Now, that being said, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to say I don't accept his apology, but it still does sort of rub me the wrong way. And I kind of look at this in the sense that we can forgive, but we shouldn't forget. 
you know, we can forgive him and we should forgive him. I think it's easier, maybe more just better for the mental aspect of things to forgive people for these kind of things. But we shouldn't forget them. Because at the end of the day, you know, retweeting that article or even supporting that article is unacceptable. And this here, this is the sort of hidden, you know, Islamophobia, hidden aspect of it, where it's someone who doesn't necessarily maybe agree with everything. And if they were asked about Islamophobia, they denounce it. But then when they're reading articles, they don't seem to recognize that an article is trying to basically denounce and say that Islamophobia doesn't exist. He's, I, I believe he's Jewish. I could be wrong about that. But he's regardless, a person who's supposed to be a special counsel to prevent anti-Semitism can't see how this, you know, this is an inappropriate article. And, and I think that that's just, that's, that's crazy. Like it's, it's the levels that go behind the denouncing the, the, oh, Islamophobia doesn't exist. This is it, Right. Like even people who you might think are, you know, would be on your side at times, don't seem like they're on your side. And and again, I'm I'm not trying to you know make this uh, something to say that every single person who stands up for Muslims is like this, but it's it's really discouraging to see someone who you would think you would think understands what not only religious discrimination is like but also targeting people because of their religious beliefs. You would think they could sympathize with us. You would think that they'd understand, but somehow they didn't. Our suffering is real. We have been targeted. And we can't let these people, again, we can't let these people make it something else. It's, it's people who came here, uh, or sorry, people who have targeted us for our religion, for our beliefs. They've targeted our identity that I talked about last time, our identity that we made, that we've created, that's based on Islam, they had targeted, they target us for it. And we can't let them just eliminate that. Now, with that being said, I think this is a good place to end today's episode. Thank you guys again so much for listening to this episode on Islam under scrutiny. I really do appreciate the support. And if you guys did enjoy this episode, if you can, I'd ask if you could leave a five-star review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this from, uh, or I, I guess you could leave whatever review you want. Uh, but of course, I always appreciate your support. And also, if you could go and follow me on Instagram, it's Muslims in Your Backyard. I'll be posting regularly about the new episodes and sort of any sort of announcements or changes that I'll have in relation to this podcast. But again, other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. Always appreciate the support. And inshallah, and Alafis will meet again.